Welcome back to the Inspired Incompetence Podcast, filmed on location. How's everybody doing? Locating. Fantastic. So, we continue yet again on our trek farther and farther north through Ustalav. Before we get into things, I want to stop and have a little check-in with everybody, because it's, it's been a while since we did that. I usually try to do those at the very beginning of, of each book, but, well, shit's been pretty hectic the last uh, half dozen episodes. Shit's been crazy, yo. So, yeah, let's, uh, why don't everybody tell me, like, where their characters are at? Like, what are they... What do they what do they think about their current mission? Like are they afraid any of anything specific happening? What's going on? Anyone want to start? Do I need to call on somebody? <laughs> I mean, I'll I'll, I'll You're all going to have to speak at some point. No. I mean, I'll I'll start, but like there feels weird with uh the new guy starting. Yeah, like there, there's not much for me to really tell. Like I'm the new guy. I I'm traveling with some strangers who happen to have goals that I'm logically deducing align with my own. Obviously, coming back from the dead and the experiences in the boneyard are still very heavy on Teoblith's mind, but he's got at least the idea of a goal in mind and he's working towards that and suppressing his trauma as best as he can. Uh, well, Teoblith, what do you think of uh, this new party that you find yourself a part of? Well, as far as Teoblith is concerned, Uhtred's the only one who can reasonably hold a conversation. His <laughs> Arginus is both insane and, in Teoblith's mind, an idiot for thinking that the cards have anything to do with seeing past what's written on the cards. And he hasn't really interacted much with Randolph. Randolph's a genius, don't worry. Just take my <laughs> word for it. And okay. he's not entirely sure what to make of Elksy. Like he's I'm sure he's like heard of awakened animals before, but never really had much interaction with them. And mm-hmm. he still kind of values intelligence over anything else. And even though Elksy is awakened, she's not particularly smart. Okay. This guy's a rude dude. Yes, he is. Not particularly smart. Smart enough for combat expertise, bitch. Uh, okay, uh, who wants to go next? I'll go next. So Randolph and Thelias, at this point, they're the team, and everyone else Excuse is me? the supporting character. <laughs> and uh, it's sort of been a slog for us, you know? It's like uh, all this traveling, we uh, we don't particularly like all the travel. I mean, the fighting is fine, and the saving the world is fine, but the go here, go there, meet this person, do this thing, it's like, god damn, we have to do everything around here? Can, like, can I just save the world from here? <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> there's, so there's a bit of that going on yeah. with uh, Randolph and Tlias. I mean, there um, was a, a one point there, Randolph was like, we just build this big hole, and all of <laughs> Ustalav will come to us, Yeah, yeah and exactly. we win. Yep. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, they don't particularly like the travel. They're also, if you notice from their survival checks, um, they're not really built for that. Uh, right. And they're ready to fight evil, but goddamn evil is, like, far away and <laughs> mysterious and all this other shit. So mm-hmm. they're just, like, frustrated with the evil that they have to fight. I absolutely love that. They're ready to fight evil, but goddamn, it's far away. <laughs> <laughs> all right, cool. Uh, what is... I know Randolph and Elksy and Thelias are having their own little uh, secret chat about Teoblith, but has Randolph formed any new opinions or theories about this new guy? Um, I'm just hoping he doesn't turn out to be like a big bad. Like, if he's just some guy who, you know, wants to tag along for a while and then like help us out while we help him out, like, that's totally cool with me, but... Him having the god in the jar and the fact that I don't know what he's up to is, uh, you know, you just hope it's not going to blow up in our stupid faces. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, let's go next. Our genius will. Our genius is not one to, like, kind of carry opinions on uh, on people. Uh, he's actually... 
he likes to dismantle that. So every every time, um, anytime that Tiablith kind of like went at him with, oh, you you know, you follow cards? Like, what type of moron are you? It's just more along the, <laughs> you're right. Like, I, like, what do I know? Uh, I've only gotten this far so far. And uh, he's kind of along the ride. Um, he's more itchy. Genus, oops, sorry. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, our genus doesn't have that arrogance of, like, Teoblith. He strikes me more as the type of person that's like, that could be an option. Let's explore that. Like Exactly. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Our, our genus is very much like, let's test these theories versus talk about them. There's no reason to talk if, you know, if it's as simple as being like, nope, guess it didn't work. Okay, let's move on. But yeah, our genus is having a good time. He's scarred for life but he's having a good time that's all that matters yeah he's trying not to let that define him all right uh how about utrid um as far as like utrid's feelings this last time we checked in i don't really think a whole lot has changed i mean the circuit like nothing in terms of like our goals have really changed um so this just kind of feels like yep this is my life now. More of the same. Like the location may be different, but it's the same shit. People die, you know, companions dying right in front of them. Here's the next bad guy. I think, as far as Teoblith is concerned, Utrid like the monk better, and is still indifferent towards Cricks. And I think, well, Utrid had a very direct and confrontational approach it wasn't so much about Teoblith as much as it was that intensely strong aura and like once it came out that like it wasn't necessarily like him he himself was that super strong aura he was willing to like take the guards down a little bit um Definitely when Teoblith mentioned being there when, like, Aridin died, or, like, alive when Aridin died, has piqued a lot of curiosity from Uhtred. I also think, and, like, Uhtred even had, like, a comment along the lines of, like, when we first met, this dude was just, like, so fucking arrogant, right? Like, kind of realizing now, like, how long he's been around, how much shit he's seen it's more palatable because it's more understandable. Like, if I was around for 300 years and I was talking to somebody who's been around 27 years, of course I'm going to be arrogant. Like, I just have so much more worldly experience than you could even imagine. So, I I think that watch between the two of them might have been the beginning of Uhtred realizing this could actually be a really valuable information source, because much like Teoblith, Uhtred very much is an intellectual. I think that might be a good way for them... I I don't want to say become friends, because I'm not sure Teoblith has the capacity to be a friend with somebody that he thinks is so far less superior intellectually. Well, it's not so much the less superior, it's like... It's tough to make friends with someone when you know they're going to die and you're just going to keep living on for another that, that's true. So however long. Like, they would have to be a pretty except, exceptional being, you know what I mean, to for him to want to, like, be friends. But, yeah, I, I think it's not going to be too hard for Uchi to come around, you know. And also the fact that uh, he showed up in the middle of the pathway and was just like, Alright, we're... It's about time. I've been waiting for you. Like, who's not going to be super suspicious of that situation? <laughs> I do have uh, one quick question for Tia Blith. Yeah. Um, I- I'm just kind of curious. Why don't you believe in the cards? Uh, like, I-, I guess I would understand it more if it was reality. Like, I get it. Like healing stones and all that stuff uh, in reality is uh, a a little bit hard to grasp the concept of but 
like, like this in a, a world of world. magic and uh, and like God, like physical gods that actually answer your prayers. Well, uh, if I had to guess, I would say it's because it's a very inexact art. It's as opposed to yeah. Go ahead, Matt. Like no, it's it. That's definitely a part of it. And the other part is like in a world where like you can use like divinations to get a glimpse of the future and and stuff like that. Like Tiablith has seen prophecies fail. So like to him, looking into the future with anything less than certainty is just a fool's errand. Okay, I guess I could see. The logic and good way of saying that. Uh, I guess I could see the logic in that. It, it would be more along the lines of like you. S- I guess you've also seen prophecies come to fruition as well, so you wouldn't heed the warning, that, like in a just in case scenario. Yeah, and I'm I'm imagine we'll be getting into it shortly, but uh, probably the single biggest prophecy in recent history is one that failed about as extraordinarily as it could uh, that Tia Blith would have witnessed, but I'll let uh, Matt cover that in character. Uh, but before we get to that, I want to have a little flashback. Oh. Ooh. A chilling scream rings through the air. It heralds fear, fear in the face of imminent doom. It calls out as if the scream itself were fleeing something terrible, but before it can fade, a monstrous alien roar swallows it up, leaving only silence. We find ourselves in a small room, lit by a single candle. A bowstring tightens, and we focus on the sole occupant of the room, a faintly illuminated elf standing opposite a closed wooden door, waiting in strangled silence ready to fire on anyone who intrudes. Through a single window, we can see the glowering face of Grotus hanging in the sky, ever-present, over the fallen city of Vigil. Beyond the closed door, we can faintly hear the muffled sound of movement, following the scream and roar heard moments before, the movement of struggle and aggression. As we listen to the offstage conflict, the elf adjusts his grip on his bow and takes a silent half-step backwards, away from the door. As he does, he steps into the light of Grotus, and we see a long nose and short dark hair, and we recognize Tia Blith Greenstrider. The scuffle behind the door ends, and a heavy silence invades the scene as we stare at the closed door with Tia Blith. A minute of strangled silence passes, then the door rattles. We focus on the latch, keeping it locked from the inside, as Tia Blith tightens his grip on his bow. The door comes to rest again, and a small knock can be heard from the other side. Hi. I think I drove it off, but but it might come back. Quick, let me in, please. Teoblith doesn't move. He merely narrows his eyes at the closed door. Another knock, more desperate. Please, please, it's, it's okay, it's just me, I promise. More waiting, more silence. The door rattles once more. I said let me in! A mighty slam rocks the door as the voice of the other side morphs into one of ferocious malice. Another slam and the door is separated entirely from the wall, revealing a muscular, seven-foot-tall monster, its humanoid body comprised of shifting scales of green and blue, and where a head might be is instead what looks like the head of a large blue and red flower with a single bulbous green eye at its center. Its strong green tail swishes behind it as it emits a monstrous alien roar despite having no visible mouth. Behind the monster, a woman lays motionless on the floor, glassy smoke pooling around her abdomen. Before it can take a single step, though, Teoblith lets a knocked arrow fly. The monster flinches back in pain, and before it can regain its balance, the elf fires several more arrows, and the monster drops dead after a single step forward. Teoblith has time only for a single sigh of relief before more roars of pursuit called from down the hallway beyond the fallen woman. After looking around desperately for another route, Teoblith turns around and leaps out of the window behind him, falling a dozen feet before landing with a roll and a measure of grace in the smoky streets of Vigil. There is no sanctuary for him here, though. As he straightens up, he turns to look down the road. A hundred feet away slink a half-dozen creatures, the size and shape of large predatory cats. 
but comprised of smoldering skeletons. They move through the low-hanging bank of glassy smoke that now pervades most of the city streets, moving in to pounce on this newest prey. Teobleth's bow glows in his hands as the elf focuses on his magics, but then a screech pulls his attention skyward. We look up and behold a bat-like fiend circling overhead. Teobleth grits his teeth as he glares angrily at the airborne demon before returning his frustration to the slowly approaching Hellcats. Is my slow and painful death really so amusing to you, master of the tower? Teobleth knocks an arrow and prepares to make his stand. The fiend circles overhead, ever closer, and the skeletal felines stalk through the glassy smoke like through tall grass. Teobleth alternates his aim from foe to foe, ready to fire at the opportune moment. Finally, the Hellcats burst into a run, and Teobleth fires arrow after arrow. One cat drops, disappearing beneath the bank of smoke, but two more take its place. Another screech overhead heralds the swift approach of the winged demon. The cats are closer, though, and Teobleth fires another volley and downs one final feline, but it's clear that this was his last shot before being overrun. Teobleth braces. The lead Hellcat leaps through the air, deadly claws outstretched, when the glassy smoke is parted with the swift swing of a blade, and the skeletal fiend is sliced in two. A creature appears out of invisibility, and we behold a looming black skeleton with enormous wings and a vulture-like mask. It stands next to Teobleth, holding a gleaming scythe at the apex of its swing, having just dispatched the Hellcat. Those remaining come to a skidding halt, unsure what the arrival of this new creature could mean for the hunt. Likewise, the flying fiend swoops back up, surprised at the sudden appearance. Teobleth appears just as surprised to be alive as the predators around him. He quickly recovers, though, and immediately fires another volley of arrows at one of the remaining Hellcats in their hesitation, leaving it limping away, followed soon after by the remaining two, who no longer seem to favor their odds. We look up in time to see the demon overhead make a similar decision as it disappears beyond the rooftops. Teobleth takes a deep breath, still gazing skyward and we can see the looming skull of Grotus reflected in his eyes. Psychopomps, huh? It's about time you got here. He turns to face a psychopomp, who turns to him in silence. What in the nine hells is going on? The psychopomp doesn't speak, but holds out its hand. Teobleth stares at it for a moment, then looks back at the creature's mask. An explanation would be nice before I let you take me who knows where. The psychopomp remains silent, its hand still held between the two. This is the Boneyard. It has to be. Demons, Clipoth, Damons. They're all running amok. I've been fighting them for hours. What do you have to say for yourself? More silence. Teobleth scowls at the Psychopomp's lack of an answer. Finally, he gestures angrily at the city around him. Fine. If you can't do your job enough to let this happen, I suppose an explanation was out of the question anyway. He pauses one final time, perhaps hoping to at least get a rise from his insult. But the Psychopomp remains resolute. With a closing sigh, Teobleth takes the looming figure's hand, and they both vanish from the street. We reappear with them in a new location, a large cellar from the looks of the dirt floor and windowless stone walls. A couple dozen people mingle throughout this large room, and Teobleth looks at them with a start. These people don't look like the ones he's had to endure since arriving in this place, the ones who shimmer and panic when forced to confront their situation. These people look more solid. They look like him. They look alive. Among them are men and women of varying races, all of whom look tired and weary. A songbird flutters through the air and lands on the shoulder of the psychopomp who brought him here. The songbird wears a matching plague mask. It turns to Teobleth with a hop. Ah, how wonderful, Thu. You found another one. Fear not, intrepid stranger. We mean you no harm. My name is Umble, and my silent companion here is Thute. You've no doubt been through an ordeal of some uh, uh, calibrity, but Thute and I have seen this before. Well, sort of. And we're here to do our best to set things right. And that will end the flashback. We come back as Uhtred and Teobleth are awoken for their nightly watch. <sighs> oh, that was not a nightmare I wanted to have again anytime soon. Um, do you want our perception checks from last week? Yes, please. But I want them this week. <laughs> oh, okay. I'd be happy to make a new one, then. A this week perception. 
Because uh, yeah, Uchi sure. got a 13 last week. <laughs> uh, well, Tia both got a 38, so. Oh, okay. I was going to say, I'd love to deny Matt the one good roll he made on perception <laughs> checks last week. That's a 13 to 38? Yep. Okay. Feel free to uh, role play out your watches, and I'll let you know if anything happens. Well, Tia Blith, I must admit, my, my patience is waning with excitement. Yes, I imagine it would be. I suppose I should start here. Have you ever heard of the Starfall Doctrine? Uh, Make a knowledge history check. 17. Maybe, like, heard of it, but don't really know what it is. You know that it's some sort of prophecy or maybe several prophecies dating back to ancient Aslanti. Uh, yes, I believe it has to do with ancient Aslantian prophecies of a sort. Uh, yeah, you're not wrong, but more specifically, the the prophecies that I'm referring to said that the god Aridin would return to Galarian in 4606, about 15 years ago now, or about 115 years ago now, and he was supposed to lead the human race in a millennium of prosperity known as the Age of Glory. Supposed to come back in Chaliax, and the king at the time, uh, guy by the name of Gaspadar, he had been preparing for decades for the return of Aridin. He had even been preparing to give up his th- his crown to the god upon his return. Well, the year came, and the day came, and nothing happened. All of a sudden, all of the clerics of Aridin were suddenly without their power. They lost their divine connection to their god. On top of that, the world, or at least from where I was, everywhere around Chaliax, was thrown into a disastrous weather storm that the likes of which, I want to say they've never been seen since, but it's actually still there. It's called the Eye of Abendego. Since King Gaspodar was so willing to give up his throne to Aridin, all of the other noble houses of Chaliax thought that, well, why don't I take it then if he's so willing to give it up? plunged the whole place into a civil war. I suppose that's a story for another day, but I guess the the brunt of it is this. Aridin was supposed to return and lead humanity into an age of glory, and instead he died. And I've heard a few conflicting accounts of what... I've heard a few conflicting interpretations of the Starfall Doctrine. There's one, There's some groups that just think it was a big mistake and they're trying to reenact the stuff that was leading up to it to try and give it another chance. And then there's even some demons who think it was referring to them and not Aridin, since the world wound happened to open up around that same time. Either way, Aridin's dead, Chaliax is now run by devils, and the Starfall Doctrine was wrong. Did you ever, by chance, have the opportunity to read the Doctrine yourself? Not directly. I did spend a few decades in Absalom long ago, and I read several interpretations of them. But unfortunately, Aslanti was not one of the languages I was fortunate enough to learn over my lifetime. I see. Do you have any theories as to how or what may have killed Aridin? Well, if I had to guess, Farazma's the only one that knows for sure. There's been some speculation that he had some battle with Rovagug or Asmodeus or some other deity that with a bone to pick. But unless unless you found a way to ask Farazma herself and had a way to actually make her answer, I don't think we're ever going to really know. I certainly don't have a way to do that. Can I ask you another question? It's a long night. You said you died and then came back outside of the city? Yeah. When you died, did you happen to go to the boneyard? That is where you go when you die, so yeah. Interesting. So then can I assume correctly that from the boneyard you traveled the dead roads back to the material plane? Oddly enough, no. I I don't recall traveling the dead roads. Interesting. So how did you make it from 
the boneyard back to the material plane. I've heard of magics that could allow you to travel to different planes. Are you capable of such things? Maybe someday soon, but no, not yet. No. So then I ask again, how so did you return? In all honesty, I don't know. There was a lot of my time in the boneyard is still a little fuzzy, but I remember getting knocked out at one point, and when I awoke, I was on a hill overlooking Vigil on the material plane. That must be gnawing at you, being such a man of knowledge. Oh, indeed. That's partially why I travel. I asked if you awoke in the boneyard and subsequently if you traveled the dead roads because that is how I returned after I died. It is also how Philias and Vipira, who you have not met nor will you ever meet, and Rogyar, who I very much hope someday you do get to meet. But that is how we all made it back to the material plane. It was not an easy trek. It required receiving stamps of passage from different waypoints along the roads. And at the end of that trek, we were actually brought back by Barzak. You actually Dude, met Barzak himself. Sorry, should I do a knowledge planes first? Eh, whatever. You already said it. Go ahead. Well, it's a 35 knowledge planes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You. All about Barzak. You know what? If you... Fucking, why not? You can ask one question about Barzak as if you identified him as a monster. Oh, shit. Damn. Oh, man. Um, was not ready for this. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. That's like when uh, he let me ask a question about the Whispering Tyrant. I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, give me one cool thing that Barzak can do. Cool ability. You know about his loneliness, unbroken ability. As a master of ways and lost things, Barzak can decide when and if creatures leave their presence. Creatures that approach within 100 feet of Barzak cannot leave that radius unless the usher wills it. Always looping back if they flee and returning to a random point within 100 feet. What in the fuck? That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So you met Barzak and... He actually brought you where you needed to go. He did. I think while Barzak did not quite understand what had brought us to the Boneyard, he knew it was great evil. I think he wanted means to gather information on the event in Rossler Coffer and what grander plans it may be involved with. When the gods get involved, mortals suffer. All we can do is try to minimize it. You're not wrong, but you could make the same claim about when mortals get involved. Um, that's uh, us talking kind of like about the bone, uh, the dead yards, and the boneyard, and psychopomps is going to uh, remind Uhtred that it's been probably like a couple days since he took out his card and wrote anything to um, Keisha Keish. Mm-hmm. So, um, Uchid will go, ah, oh, that, that reminds me, and he'll, like, reach into his pocket and pull out. Oh, flexing the... on this other nerd with your extra point <laughs> pen, pal. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. Also, the fact, too, that he was giving our genus such shit about the cards. Yeah. It's oh, a I, yeah. Card. <laughs> no, that, that occurred to me, too. <laughs> And, like, you know, he says, oh, that reminds me. But, like, that he says that more when you, like, a thought just escapes your mouth. As, yeah. as less to, like, directly add him. Um, so, you, uh, Matt, you would see Uhtred take the card out and a quill and he start writing. And um, he hasn't written. I, I looked uh, before we ended last week. Um, he hasn't written anything... Since uh, last thing he wrote was before Vigil fell, so I think his message is going to read: Vigil has fallen, Tarbathon is has escaped Gallowspire. I think that's all that message should contain. <laughs> There's a lot to unpack with that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right, you guys 
doing or saying anything else on your watch? Uh, Teobleth's got nothing else. He didn't have a snidey, rude comment when he saw the hero card, like, don't tell me you too. Uh, He would have just let out a sigh, but then when he sees you, like, writing along the edges of it, he'd be more like, the fuck is this? (laughs) More observant than snide. Alright, so the sun once again rises on your watch, uh, and the fog is lifted. Uh, However, it seems like it was actually blown away by the wind, which has picked up quite a bit. No penalties on range attacks or perception checks, but there is a 50% chance that any unprotected flames are extinguished in this moderate wind. Okay. Alright, so everybody wakes up, and you continue... Yet again, your long trip to Gallowspire. Let's get some more survival checks. That's a 17. Uh, that's a 7. 19. Okay. Elks, you got another 27. Fuck. So, <laughs> you guys do not get lost. So, you know that it's about the same distance to your next landmark as it was from the Vaishu Ruins to Render's Lake. Uh, you know that your next landmark is the Wailing Cascade, the tallest waterfall in all of Ustalav. Uh, but as you are traveling these mountainous uh, trails, I'd like everybody to give me perception checks. Ooh, six. 25 for our genus. Uh, I got the six, all right? If anyone's getting a six, it's me. <laughs> you want to have a roll off for the six? <laughs> the last uh, got an 11. Utrid, you got a 12. Yeah, Utrid. did get a 12. Yeah, Utrid, you can't. You can have your 6. <laughs> yeah, Utrid, you can't get a 6. Um, but I got a 31. All right, you guys are uh, you're traveling uh, higher and higher up these mountains. And in the distance, you can just start to make out the, the, the low roar of the Wailing Cascade, this waterfall. It's just this dull static right now. And while it's not really super loud, there's this blanketed uh, sound that perhaps for Randolph, Tholias, and Uhtred, perhaps was the reason they were unaware of the approaching dangers. But Teobleth, Arginus, and Elksy will be able to act in the surprise round as two enormous-looking spiders appear overhead, crawling down the the sheer cliff wall that you're hiking next to. I look like they were preparing to ambush you from above. These creatures have hairless bodies and a black-striped abdomen prominently displays a pair of large, serrated, bright red fangs. Everybody roll initiative. Okay, Arginus. Arginus, 17. Uhtred. 15. Randolph. 5. Teobloth. 19. Okay. I mean, is, this a, is this a path or is this a... So you're, you're kind of hiking up mountains. So, you're, uh, so you've got like to your right is like a cliff wall and to your left is like a cliff to fall down. I, it, I'm not going to say that it's like... Like this narrow ass ledge. It's it's and it's a it's an established trail, okay. but yeah, you can't really. There's not far to go to your right, and there's not far to go to your left. Got it. All right. Well, up first is going to be Elksy, who shouts, "Look out above us!" And Elksy's going to. Uh, she is not able to reach either of them yet, so she's going to hold her action. Uh, if one of these things comes within range, she's going to gore it. And, well, up next is the spider creatures, and they're going to move up, or move down, I guess, since they're climbing down the cliff wall. Red uh, is coming right up to Elksy, and blue, uh, when it gets down within reach of you guys, uh, will be threatening Thalias, Arginus, and Teobleth. Uh, but first, Elksy gets her gore. Fucking 37 to hit. Elksy came to play. Okay, nice clean 10 points of damage. And now we'll do the spider creatures. Uh, first up is the one against Elksy. It's 
gonna go for a bite. Natural one. Nice. Followed up by a natural two. Okay. Already uh, with the fumble in, I love it. Yeah, what the hell. Um, that's gonna confirm, so I guess let's get a natural attack fumble. Yep, the natural attack fumble is a sprain. The spider takes 1d4 points of dex damage. Wow, okay. I got a four. So this guy takes two points of dex damage. We'll take a double order of that, please. Ones and twos, (laughs) and then on the damage, max them out. Yeah, I bet you would. Um, All right. Now we're going to do the blue one. I'm going to roll a d6. And uh, one and two is Teoblith. Three and four is Arginus. And five and six is Thalias. That's a two. Here we go with Teoblith. Um, can I use immediate actions? No. Okay. Not during, Not while you're flat-footed. Okay. I didn't think so. That's why I wanted to ask. All right. That's going to be a 26 to hit. That hits my flat-footed AC. Take 13 points of damage from its bite. Ouch. This is still the surprise round, right? Yes, it is still the surprise round. And up next in the surprise round is Teobleth. And at this point, anybody who wants to can give me knowledge checks. Knowledge Dungeoneering. Dungeoneering. That's a weird one. Don't have that Five. Boom. Randall got a 25. Okay. Uh, Randolph is the only one to identify these creatures as Razormouth Solifugids. Razormouths often reside in mountainous areas or large canyons with steep cliffs. Uh, how appropriate for where you are. Uh, mm-hmm. Randolph, you may ask one question. Uh, offensive ability. Yep. You know that Razormouth Solifugids have a rather savage bite. Uh, Razormouth's bite threatens a critical hit on a nat on a natural 19 or 20, and on a confirmed critical hit, deals times three damage and 2d6 points of bleed. Okay, I'll uh, communicate that to the group. That uh, don't, don't let them bite you. Okay, um, deal with it. Is your turn? Okay. Uh, before I take my turn, I want to ask this. Mm-hmm. Uh, has a blade of barrier. I haven't been saying that I've been casting it, but similar to Uhtred, can it be assumed that I cast it at the beginning of the day? Sure. Okay. So, Just know that unless you say otherwise, I will always assume you cast at the beginning of the day, and if it's been more than 11 hours, like if you're having an evening combat, that's not active anymore. Right. That's fine. Okay. Um, Okay, so I have five non-lethal. And I took five less damage. So, with that in mind, Teoblith is going to take a five-foot step diagonally backwards away from this thing. And he's going to take his standard action to activate his his legacy weapon ability with Bane. Is it Aberration for these things? Uh, actually, sorry, it's Vermin. It is Vermin? Okay. Yeah. All right, so yes, he activates his legacy weapon with Bane Vermin. That's a standard action, and that is his turn. Okay, up next in the surprise round is Arginus. Uh, I'm going to take a five-foot step back. That's all I could do, right? Uh, I mean, you can still take a standard or move action. Oh. Well, you can't move after five-foot step, but yes. You, oh. Five-foot step is in addition to anything you can do on a surprise round. Oh, uh, okay. Um. Then in that case, I'm going to do uh, Kill Fetty. Uh, are you going to cast that defensively? Got reach? Oh, no. Well, you don't know if they have reach or not, but you're oh. within 10 feet, and it's a large creature. It's a huge creature. Huge creature. Jesus. Huge creature. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm going to cast defensively. All right. So I just need to make a caster level check? A concentration check. A concentration the DC is 15 plus double the spell level. And Killer Confetti is a fourth level spell? Fifth. Fifth. Okay. So it's a DC 25 concentration. Yep. 26. You concentrate. <laughs> Alright, so I owe you a reflex save? Yeah. That is a 27 on its reflex save. Yeah, that makes it. Okay. 
All right, so that begins the well, combat proper. It's, it still takes half. So it does. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to try to just roll right past that. <laughs> Take uh, 19 points. Okay. All right, so that begins the combat proper with Elksy, who's going to full attack on this Razor Mouth Salafugid directly in front of her. Okay, 28's going to hit. A 27's going to hit. And another 27. So gore, hoof, hoof. 15 with the gore. 7 with one hoof. And 7 more with the other hoof. Go, Elksy. Yep. Elksy's just going ballistic on this thing, but it is now the Salafugid's turns. And they're each going to 5-foot step to kind of complete their descent. They're still, like, partially clinging to the walls, but... Now they are properly standing on the ground, and uh, once again, Teoblith is uh, within five feet of this thing, and now Randolph is as well. Um, Red's going to full attack on Elksy. It's going to be a hit with a bite. It gets two claws, and it's going to hit with both claws. Come on, Elksy. Meat shielded up. Okay. Elksy took a total of 44 points of damage from... All three of those attacks. Oh, good lord. Oh, that's a lot. Yeah. Uh, all right. And now we're going to go with the blue Solifugid, who now has four targets to choose from. So I'm going to roll a d4, and I'm going to go clockwise, starting from Teoblith. That's a four. Thelias. That's a 21 to hit. Uh, nope. A 23 to hit. Nope. And then we got a 24. Uh, 35 to hit. Oh, yeah, that one hits. Okay. Thalias takes 14 points of damage. Dang. And it is Teoblith's turn. Okay. Teoblith is again going to back up five feet. And, yeah, he will take a full attack with his bow. Rapid shot, many shot. Alright, so that first... Uh, arrow shot is going to provoke. Okay. It's gonna try to bite you. That's a 22 to hit. Does not hit. Alright. Alright, full attack with the bow. No deadly aim. Does a 23 hit? Nope. Uh, an 18 definitely doesn't. How about a 26? 26 hits. Alright. So that's gonna take... 16 damage from the bow. Okay. Sorry, 18. I can math. All right, up next is Arginus. Arginus is going to take another five-foot step back. Let's watch for that cliff. <laughs> yeah, all right. One and only time I'm going to remind you that you now have winged boots. I know. Um, okay. And also the one and only time I'll remind you you have to activate them as a standard action. All right, in that case, uh, winged boots. I choose you. And that's all I could do, right? So I took the five-foot step, and then I activated the boots. Yep. Got it. Uhtred. Okay, Uhtred's going to cast a mirror image on himself. Okay. Uh, It's plus three, so five mirrors. Okay. And then he is going to move... Uhtred will move right up to get in line with Elksy. Okay. Uh, along the way, he's going to provoke from that Solifugid with its reach. Yep. Uh, can he make an acrobatics check to sure. try and avoid it? Go ahead. 15. Uh, that fails. Does a 36 hit? Uh, yeah. Okay. That is a natural 19 for a critical threat. Okay. Well, he's got. I've got five mirrors he's got to contend with. Let's uh let's contend with that before I confirm. <laughs> uh, how many you got total? Uh, uh, five mirrors. Five five mirrors. All right, so I'm gonna roll a d6, and a one is Uhtred. Six. I'm starting to wonder if I should just reverse. Nope. You leave it <laughs> how the same. I do mirror images. <laughs> nope. It's because... canon, man. It's two campaigns worth. You can't change it now. Right. But my my d6s and d4s <laughs> are like we're gonna roll high for you every single time. Yeah, your d6s are always hot. Ah, bites me in the ass for mirrors. <laughs> All right. So you close the distance. 
This thing chomps one of your mirrors in half on the way. Randolph. If I make a five-foot step to the left, am I flanking? No, you'd have to be on the opposite side. Like 20 feet away from this giant friggin' thing? Uh, I'm just... I mean, you did already see it take an attack of opportunity against Teobleth, so maybe that wouldn't provoke... And you'd... Yeah, no, I don't trust you. Well, you did see it only take <laughs> one attack of opportunity against my three ranged attacks, which would have given it three opportunities to strike if it okay. could. Okay, that's all right. Well, true. No, that's, that's more trustworthy than whatever Alex just said. <laughs> so I'm going to run over here with impunity, knowing that okay. it can't hit me. It's going to provoke. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That'd be, that'd be great if it did after all that. <laughs> Uh, and I'm going to scythe it powerfully for a 21. 21 will not hit. Ah, jeez. All right. And then uh, Phantom Thalias is going to do some pummeling also powerfully. It's a 28. 28 hits. All right, cool. This is where we win it all back. That's uh, 17 damage and one fire. And for his next trick, his slam two, that's a 39 to hit. 39 also hits. 20 damage and one fire. You gotta keep those fire rolls low. I don't want to be too OP. <laughs> All right. Two solid hits from Thalias. That brings us back to Elksy. Uh, I brought it up earlier in this episode, but uh, I think Elksy's gonna fight with combat expertise because Elksy does not have a very high AC, uh, being an unarmored elk. So that's going to be a... Minus three to Elksy's attack roll, but a plus three on her AC. Okay, natural 18 will still get the job done for that gore. 23 will not hit with one hoof, and another 23 will also not hit. Still a nice 15 points of damage, and it is the Razormouth's turns again, and yeah, they're both going after. Uh, the ones who dealt the most damage to them last turn, which will be Thalias and Elksy, respectively. Thalias is big. He can take it. Natural one. Ha <laughs> ha! I will not say it. That's going to be a 26 to confirm. Nope. That confirms? Yeah. Thalias got right. a 30 AC, dog. Ooh. Damn. All right. You don't want a net one against him. <laughs> okay, so this natural crit fumble is called a great roar. The spider is deafened until healed with a DC 15 heal check. Don't ask the, me how that works. It, the spider roar and it deafened itself? I don't know. It's just <laughs> called great roar and the attacker is deafened. So take take with that what you will. Uh, then deafened is not going to affect it in this combat just looking at the mechanics behind it but yeah it's really got to stop roaring so loud that it fucking deafens itself <laughs> uh but it's gonna follow through with two claws that's a 22 to hit nope and Does a not hit <laughs> and a 26 to hit also does not hit all right uh now it's the other one's turn and i hope i didn't Use up all of my low rolls on Thalias. Well, the problem is they brought claws to an ectoplasm fight. <laughs> yeah, it's a big problem. All right, let's see. That's going to be 28 to hit, and that's going to hit Elksy. 29 to hit. Uh, Alex, what are you doing? And a 30 to hit. But... Okay. Elksy takes another 55 points of damage. Ooh, and... That seems like too many looks uh really really bad but is uh still up <laughs> uh tiabla that is your turn okay well once again that's uh, gonna be another five foot step back hopefully out of reach now and he will take uh, again full attack rapid shot many shot that's gonna provoke motherfucker that's a 35 to hit that hits 17 points of damage Okay. Okay, I like these rolls better. That's a 31 to hit for the many shot. 31 hits. And then a 33 to hit on the second shot. 33 hits. And then a 21 on the last shot. 21 misses. All right. So the many shot does 
34 damage. And the next shot does 23. Looks pretty beat up, but it's still standing. Arginus. Um, Arginus is going to take a five foot diagonal step back. I'm going to cast Fireball on the one that's been uh, attacking Elksy. Okay. Fireball. That's another 27 reflux. <laughs> yep. Uh, so half damage. It's going to be 15. All right. It uh, emits a loud, skittering roar of pain, and it is Uhtred's turn. Uh, I'm going to take a full round attack with Vala on the one that's right in front of me. Okay. The first one is a 27 to hit. 27 hits. Okay. Now, is this thing chaotic? No. Okay. Uh, it's going to be 11 slashing damage. And how about a 22 to hit? 22 does not hit. Okay. And I think that's going to be my turn. All right. Uh, up next is Randolph. Ooh, now this is tricky because I want to heal Elksy, but if my math is right, I don't think I can make it to her. Don't forget, Thalias can deliver touch spells. Oh, that's right. That's what I'll do. Oh, it's so cool. So I'm going to... Oh, shit. This thing's got to reach this, so i got to concentrate. It did already take an attack of opportunity on me. Oh, good thing someone's paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's the plan. I'm going to have Thalias over here, and I'm going to wave my hands into a big fat heel for old Elksy. All right. The biggest and fattest that I got, which unfortunately is just Cure Serious. I thought I had Cure Critical, but I took other cooler stuff. Give him that Cure Throbbing Wounds. <laughs> yeah. Ah, uh, gee, sorry, Elsie. <laughs> it's a 19. Okay. And what are the odds Thalias gets more action economy? Slim to none. Yeah, unfortunately, that uh, that's about it. Okay. That's what I figured on account of how cool the thing I just did was in yeah. terms of like mechanics. Go ahead, double check. All right. It is Elsie's turn, and uh, despite receiving that. Uh, Beneficial heal, uh, Elksy understands just how uh, swiftly this thing uh, is cutting her down. And she's actually going to take a five-foot step back, uh, still kind of limping a little bit, saying, I'm sorry, Uhtred, I can't. And uh, as a full round action, take the total defense action. And it is the Razormouth's turns and the blue one is I think the blue one is actually going to decide that this meal is not worth it and it's going to attempt to retreat back up the cliff wall uh, which is going to provoke from Randolph sweet hell yeah let's go provokeroni uh scythe uh, yes 31 baby 31 hits uh 22 plus 1 acid yo Randolph takes that down. Yes! We're going to be eating uh, like kings tonight, boys. (laughs) (laughs) It turns around and uh, begins scaling the wall, and Randolph just buries his scythe blade into the thing's, uh, like, thorax and pulls it back down where it it just tumbles down to the, the trail and lays upside down with its legs curled in on itself. Nice. Uh, but it is the other Razor Mouth's turn, and it's going to full attack on Uhtred. I'm going to use an Arcana Point to boost my AC. All right. First, we're going to do the bite. 22 to hit. Miss. And doesn't take him here. Yep. Next up is a Claw. That's a 29 to hit. Uh, misses and also doesn't take him here. And round that out is a natural 20. Uh, what do we got for your mirrors? You got four left. Yep. All right, so I'm going to roll a d4. No, I'm going to roll a d6. Ignore the six, and a one is Uhtred. Two. So it bites, claws. Uhtred deftly dodges, and then it rips a mirror apart with its final claw. And now it's Teoblith's turn. All right. So 
you're you. very confident that you're out of reach of this one. <laughs> we shall see. <laughs> I'm so confident I'm even going to take a five-foot step forward. Oh, it's your undoing. <laughs> and yeah, full attack, uh, many shot, rapid shot. All right, that does not provoke. All right, no deadly aim. Oh, boy. That's a 35 to hit. That hits. So that is... That's 35 damage with the many shot. And then a natural 20 for a crit threat of 36. But I'm pretty sure a 22 does not confirm. You know, with the four dex damage that it took at the beginning of this combat, that is one off from confirming. Uh, oh, you son of a bitch. Yeah. Got my hopes up. Um, <laughs> but either way, that's another 16 damage. But my, my last attack is a 23 to hit, which I believe you just told me hits. Indeed it does. <laughs> so that is another 16 damage. All right. And that is enough to finish off the final Razormouth Solifugid. All right. Oof. A little bit of a hairy start there, but you guys uh, cleaned up pretty good. Yeah. Churning through those arrows, though. <laughs> oh, you fire like 10 at a time. Can you go pick them up? Pluck them out of the bodies? <laughs> nope. Yeah, unfortunately, that's, that's one of the Pathfinder rules. Ammunition is considered destroyed after being fired. But that's why I invested points into craft, you know, weapons, craft. I don't know exactly. I think it's craft like weapons for, for arrows. Whatever that's crafting smart. ammunition is, yeah. Yeah. Like, I just put craft arrows, like whatever that craft is. But I actually put ranks in it so that I can make more arrows as we go so that I'm not constantly worried about running out. A Dude, good idea. Awesome if you made a badass archer that ran out of arrows. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, dude, I can snipe anything. Oh, if only I had arrows, dang. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, yeah, the combat is over, and Elksy uh, looks pretty beat up. Looks like she's about to get healed from uh, Randolph, who rushes over as fast as his uh, heavy plate will take him. <laughs> Elksy! Oh, no! You're just, you're so hurt. Here, let me help you. And I'm gonna blast off, do another cure serious, because this is serious. Twenty-five. Oh, that's, that's, nice. that's better. Okay. Better. And I'll do a uh, cure moderate. Oh fuck me. Thirteen. Okay. Is she still looking horrible? <laughs> Does the doctor need to continue? I mean, she took a ton of damage, so I'm suspecting yes. Yeah. Uh. Elksy was just shy of 100 damage before taking that first cure from Thalias. Uh, Good lord. So you've undid a lot of damage that she's taken, but she still looks... Uh, yeah, well, here's another 18. All right. Uhtred literally cannot take 100 points of damage and be alive. <laughs> right? After that last heal, Elksy says... Thank you, Randolph. Uh, please, you should you should save your your magic for. Well, I used two more level ones oh. just to make sure that. She, but that's the total. It's six plus eight, fourteen. Right. And then uh, I'll hear her advice and stop casting all my spells. All right. Uh, yeah, with the, with those last two especially, she's looking uh, like she still got a little bit of like she still got some scrapes that haven't right. fully healed, but she looks. Almost good as new after that. She Oof. says, Yeah, um, I'm sorry. I became a bit of a liability during that. We appreciate having you at our side. I'll always be here for you, Elksy. Just as I know you'll be here for us. Uh, you're too kind, Randolph, but no, I, I, I need to be sure to be more vigilant in the future. Well, you know I, best. I, I can't be putting myself in situations that pull you away from something more important that you should be doing. And Elksy looks... It's, it's a little hard to read facial expression of an elk, but she looks, like, a little embarrassed and, like, maybe ashamed. But, uh, yeah, with that, you guys are able to uh, continue on your way. Right, a few more hours pass, and as you get closer and closer to this waterfall, the the roaring static climbs and it starts getting 
foggy and misty, I guess. And the mist get, grows heavier and heavier. And just before the mist is so heavy that you can't really see anything but the trail directly in front of you, uh, the, the trail opens up just enough for you to behold an 800-foot-high cliff of glassy black stone stands wrapped in a foaming white column of water that pours down to dissolve into a clinging icy mist. I'd actually like everybody to give me a fortitude save. Fortitude save, huh? Mm-hmm. Uh Teoblith got a twenty-three. Okay. Utri got, got a n- oops, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Utri got a nineteen. Randolph got yeah. a thirty. And Thalias got a six. <laughs> And our genus got a 17. And Elksy oh, got a 17. All right. Uh, so Thalias, uh, weirdly enough, is the only one to fail his fortitude save against prolonged exposure to this icy cold mist. Thalias uh-huh. takes three points of non-lethal damage and is considered fatigued. Ow. Although uh, you know that the fatigue condition will end as soon as he is healed of the non-lethal damage. All right, well, I'll heal him right now. Boom. Check that out. Boom. You guys know that in the presence of this fog cloud, you are, uh, it is uh, effectively severe cold. Uh, for every 10 minutes you spend in severe cold, you need to take a fortitude save, uh, and the fortitude save DC gets one higher for every check previously done. Oh, no. And every time you fail, you take 1d6 points of non-lethal damage. And any damage, any non-lethal damage you take from cold exposure results in being fatigued. Now, if I pop the lies back in my head, he's safe, right? He can't take any of this. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and, yeah, so it's not the toughest fortitude save. I mean, everybody passed except for Thalias, and it's not a huge amount of non-lethal damage, but... And it's also not a super high frequency. It's every 10 minutes, but it is there. But yeah, so you guys know that from here, it's going to get next to impossible to see because the, the mist is getting thicker and thicker. And you know it's just from that waterfall that you're getting closer and closer to. And you know that you need to get to the top of that cliff uh, to continue with your traveling. Uh, just from looking at that cliff, it does not look very easy to climb not necessarily impossible but you are all aware that as 11th level PCs and several casters and even with a magic item you uh, you have fairly uh, immediate access to magical flight mm-hmm. uh, so yeah what do you guys do? Uh, Utri would take out his cold weather clothes that we got from Kishikish Okay, good thinking. <laughs> put those on. Do, are, are we still like approaching the base of this waterfall, or are we just are we there? You, you still have a, a little ways to go to get to the base of it, but you know that, like, for now you can, you can see like maybe, like thirty feet ahead of you before the mist is too heavy, but you know that if you travel much farther towards the waterfall, it's going to be like almost complete obscurity in this mist either way you have to just fly like you're you're free to continue to approach the waterfall that's going to take more time maybe resulting in another fortitude save uh and yeah once once you get to the base you'll still just need to fly straight up anyway okay i suppose my question is how far is it to the base of the waterfall from where we are it is hard to tell considering this waterfall is so massive you've You've been able to perceive it in one way or another for the last, like, probably a couple miles. But, you know, you probably have maybe another quarter of a mile to go. Fun fact, uh, the Mesmos River, which is what falls down this cliff, creating the Wailing Cascade, loses roughly a third of its volume over the course of its fall. Uh, that third is what... Is in is the air. This, yeah. So it is, uh, it's a lot of mist. It's a, a heavy mist. And I'll take a survival or knowledge geography check. 
from anybody who wants to. That's a 29 survival. Uh, that's a 9 knowledge geography. That's a 21 survival. Uh, and that's a 15 geography. So Arginus and Teobleth would know that the the height of this waterfall and the volume of water, you know that the, the cloud of mist uh, actually climbs up about 200 feet above the base. It would obscure your vision from the base up to 200 feet. Uh, and then you would have another 600 feet of visibility to climb. But that's just uh, to give you a, a rough idea of how big this fog cloud is. Okay. So what do you guys do? All right. Well, what what I am proposing is that we walk a little bit further because I even had to look it up. Alex said we're about a quarter mile away, which is about 1,500 feet or so. So once we get to within 800 feet of the base of the waterfall, I can do Dimension Door twice, once to get us to the base, and then once to get us to the top of the cliff. I don't have an issue with that. Yeah, I don't either. Sounds good. Especially, I just looked it up, and since Dimension Door doesn't <clears throat> doesn't require a line of sight to where you're going, you just have to mm-hmm. know where it is. Like You just have to know where you're going, like have a destination in mind within range. And you can go there. Yeah. Uh, 800 feet is uh, reaching the limits of that range, but you can get there. Yep. That's why I looked it up. It has a range at this level of 840 feet. All right. So that's what you do. Double dimension door to the base and then to the the top of the cliff. Yep. All right. With that second dimension door, the, uh, the roar, the thundering roar of that waterfall is just suddenly just... Like almost nothing as you're now at the top of this waterfall and there's still certainly a, a rumbling from the from the waterfall there but compared to the bottom it's like almost silence sweet but yeah uh, with that you uh you've reached the top of the uh whaling cascade just in time to uh need to break for camp again perfect well, seems like a lovely view for camping yeah hell yeah I just hope no one has any accidents. <laughs> <laughs> we'll rope it off. All right, cool. So we'll uh, we'll get to uh, making camp at the top of the Whaling Cascade next week on the Inspired Incompetence Podcast. Yeah, boy. I know this is. See ya. I know this is in a cliffhanger, but it feels like a cliffhanger. It's a cliff. Ah, ah, got it. Um, see ya. See ya. See ya. See ya.